We welcome you tonight. Uh, we're here on another streamcast with New Testament Church of the Firstborn and being taught by God and educated by God and then raised up by God. We want to give Him thanks as we try to make a clarion message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the original truths that were established and have been canonized in what we call the Bible. Uh, with its, all its translations, the things that are for it, the things that are against it, the things that have been rightly translated, and the things that can be better translated in this 21st century. So we want to say God bless you and, and a prayer of grace to be sent out to Savannah Colesworth and her husband Aaron, that they continue to grow in strength and grace. Also for a Barry and a Tina Schaap, uh real prayer warriors. Someone that I, I knew Barry years and years ago, and I met uh, his wife recently while praying for another person, and uh, it was quite wonderful. I, I called her, the only way I know that to identify her was Sister Holy Ghost, that's what I called her. So uh, blessings to her. And we welcome all of you as you listen in uh, from... Tennessee, Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and a special prayer goes out this week to uh, James Potter. He's going to be handling the preaching duties while uh, Dr. Pat Hayes is there in Cleveland handling their gathering together at the Cleveland Church, uh, he and Don Warren. So special prayers for Brother Pat because he really works himself to a bone. Uh, to handle all the missionaries that come in from Africa and seek to accommodate them uh, when they gather together. So uh, tonight we just simply ask for your prayers, prayers for me, prayers for the church, and prayers that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that was the last request of an apostle called Kepha or Peter Petros, a little pebble of the real rock, Jesus. But nevertheless, he carried out, and in his last epistle, he said that we should grow, and we want to talk about that tonight. We want to talk about, hopefully, the sweetness of perfume and ointment of a man who can give you hearty counsel. So, uh, if you would... Just pray with me now, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, as we live through life and we live through all the situations that it provides, help us to have prevailing faith, faith that will overcome, faith that believes, and a faith that conquers. God, you gave us ten overcoming promises. And in the tenth, in the final, you said, He that overcometh ultimately shall inherit all things. So God, we pray tonight that we would mature, that we would grow, that we would take the markers and the indications of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, and God, we would grow in grace, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we give you thanks and we give you praise. We ask it to bless the hearers thereof. Touch Trace Barnett, touch Coach as he coaches people along life's way. 
Help us, God, to uh, not be wearied with running with men because we know that we've been called to run with the horses, as Jeremiah said. So, God, help us to have the strength and the vitality to move forward in Jesus' mighty name. If you have your Bibles today, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we want to look at Ephesians 4, 14. Now there is a certain sensation that the church is uh, rather thrilled by in the ideal of going up. We have this upward ascension. Everybody wants to go up and there is a way to go up. The way to go up is to grow up. Now as we look up, from which cometh our help. We know and realize that our help cometh from the Lord, that we as the body of Christ are growing up into the head, which is the fullness of Him that filleth all in all, the preeminent one, the head of the church. God wants us to mature. So the writer says here in Ephesians, we believing that to be Paul, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and their, of course, cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, having a loving attitude that if you find someone in a sin, the only rightful use of the law is to identify someone in their sin, but the only graceful method we have is now in the new covenant of love and mercy and truth. Now the law is holy, just, and good, but the only proper application is to tell someone that the law clearly states that as a sin. Our method has changed dramatically. We no longer depend on casting people out of church, condemning them, even though shunning is implied by Paul, that someone who claims to be a brother, our real motive is to love and to not overcharge and uh, not to abuse our power that we've been given in the Lord. We have an entirely graceful method because the weapons of our warfare are no longer carnal methods, that lead to natural condemning, but a loving reproof, or what the Greek would translate into, a loving conviction and lifestyle that would draw them out of what's wrong into what's right. And that is the love of God. God is love. So we find here, but speaking the truth in love, verse 15, that we may grow up. There's our going up. If you get to go up, the calling is to grow up, stop being babies, drinking milk, claiming milk, doing your own will, surrender yourself to God. Someone that gives Him your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, which is the first commandment, to love the Lord your God. That's a big commandment made by Jesus. 
That's a huge. And the second is liken unto it. If you learn to love your neighbor as you love yourself, and if you don't know how to love yourself, the first commandment will take care of that. While you're loving God, God loves you back to teach you that the way He made you, and the way He designed you, is and something that should be loved. Once you're built strong in that love, you now have the love for yourself, your being, the wonderful counsel and the wonderful divine design that God made your soul in. Now, if God can love you, then you must be lovable. Now share that same love wherewith you've been loved and love your neighbor with it, showing him the benefits of your heavenly Father that has come to you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and empowers you through the comfort of his return in the form of the Holy Ghost because you are not an orphan. We are not spiritually illegitimate children down here. We are not without a father. Our Father is with us. Blessed be the Lord. That we may grow up into Him, which is the head, even Christ, from whom, Him, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part being valuable, make an increase of the body, increase of the body. You, you, you cannot diminish the fact how important your connection is to the church because by you supplying a joint, we may get an entire part of the leg of the body of Christ. You could be a shoulder. You could be the spine, the backbone of the church. Something that you supply, everything else depends on you. So the more you're here and the more you're dependable, the more others can be dependable because you yourself are proving yourself to be faithful, loyal, and committed. This is very important. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, you tear your rotor cuff and you'll find out how important your shoulder is. Your arm will not feel much like working if you tear that rotor cuff. You uh, sprain an ankle and you'll find how important that foot is that's attached to it with all the little toes. They just don't want to agree with you no more because that joint is breaking down. Now it maketh increase of every part of the body of Christ unto the edifying of itself in love, which answers the prophecy where they cast the insult into Jesus' face he healed others, let's see if he'll heal himself. They said, physician, heal thyself. Now that prophecy is for the body who now has a resurrected head to heal itself. We are to edify and increase each other with our faithful, loyal commitment in our walk with God. No one should be more loyal than you. No one should be more faithful than you. And no one should show better fruit or the virtues of what God's really worked out in your soul. Not just how gifted you are. That should come in a distant third. We should lead with the good fruit 
of the Holy Spirit live the virtues of a dark soul that has been illuminated and literally converted and added to by our faith and commitment to God. And then if God chooses, we'll operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, we Pentecostal folk, we do it just the opposite. We try to lead with the gifts of the Spirit, and we think that covers the fruit of the Spirit, and the virtues of the soul, those aren't even mentioned. But as long as we can speak in tongues and prophesy, run the floors, and act like we know the mind of God, that's good enough. And that's not good enough. That is an incomplete person. That is someone who has not yet been made whole. And that wisdom is not from above. That is not meekness of wisdom. Because if someone can't even be asked a question, if they cannot be easily entreated, if they're not gentle, humble, without partiality, and without hypocrisy, they have to be a person of meekness of wisdom and they can show in their conversation how God gave them a peace. Because again, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them willing to make peace. Now we get so many preachers that are insecure in their calling. Because they're insecure, you cannot question what they say. They're not open to questions, and they'll stand up and say, Are you trying my spirit? And yes, I am. I have the right to try the spirit. John made it very clear. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Just because a person stands up and says, I run this church. And if, by the way, if they say it's my church, you want to be an attendant of Christ's church, not the man's church. But if they're very threatened by someone supposedly trying their spirit. Well, John said that we should try the spirit to see whether they be of God or not. And if you are easily entreated, a question from your followers should not bother you. You should be easily entreated and not have the wisdom that is sensual, earthly, devilish, and easily threatened. If you'll turn to James... Uh, chapter 3, we'll read it to you again, oops, right out of the Bible. James 3.13 Well, who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Question, do you guys at the church have a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Well, it doesn't even seem like it has to be a pastor, Sister Lynn. It just says, is there one wise man among your congregation? Now, we hope it's the pastor. <laughs> we hope. And I haven't always been wise. I lack wisdom. And all that I have now is by admitting what I did not have. And God has graciously, graciously opened my mind to some things. And I hope to share some of those proverbial truths that I link with New Testament truths to try to live and govern in my life and in the lives of others. So is there a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, 
if there seems to be anyone among you that is contentious, always arguing about something, always fighting for an issue. Paul said, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. That is not something that is to take place in the setting of ministry and preaching. There is a time and a place for everything. You should be able to easily approach the man of God without him feeling so attacked or threatened because he has put himself out there on thin ice. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, these are childish things. This is someone who's undeveloped. This is not a developed, mature person. This is an undeveloped soul that's being explained. Someone that has not gone up by way of growing up, someone who's still on the milk, who've not been weaned, and has not yet learned knowledge and doctrine from the Holy Ghost. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above, that comes from God, and if you lack it, you can ask for it. But you have to admit that you lack it. Every preacher I talk to, they always know every single thing that I mention to them. They know everything. They already know everything about everything about everything. And it's almost superfluous to try to even talk and have a communication with them. Because they already know it all. Well, I know the one that knows it all, but I'm definitely a person who needs learning. I'm, I'm definitely one who has the room to be taught by the Holy Ghost. And we should be able to learn one from another. They go through what I call the Superman stage. That if they are over a church, for whatever reason they started it, I hope God called them to. I personally didn't want to start a church. I personally was a little bit surprised uh, when God asked me to start a church. I'm like, who? <laughs> maybe, maybe that's somebody else, not me, uh, but that's what God did, and maybe that's the only way he could knock things through this hard head of mine. But nevertheless, I found that the wisdom that's from above has to come from God, be inspired, and then it has to be found in the witness of two or three. Can I instantiate, substantiate what I'm saying with two or three witnesses at minimum what I'm trying to teach and say? But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. God, you shouldn't be on pins and needles if you come up and ask somebody, uh, a minister. And I know, unfortunately... I've come off that way at times, and God forgive me, I'm sorry. That's not the way you're supposed to be. I, I've, I've had to really, really uh, take up a shield of faith at times when I needed to set the shield down and just be kinder and more approachable. Now, I say this through failing, but in my failures, I learned how to stand. When you fall down, you really learn how to stand up and what to look for to keep you from falling again. God bless the rest of you that never fall. I've got skint knees and elbows, but...
but I'm still getting up. Praise God. I'm still getting up in Jesus' name. I've fallen seven times, but I've gotten up eight times. So I've learned it's not about how much you fall. It's about every time you stand up. And every time you stand up, you get to stand a little bit straighter, a little bit uh, more greater with understanding and kindness and love for all. So, easy to be entreated. Watch it now, full of mercy. Someone very willing to be full of mercy to your unrighteousness. That doesn't take offense easily. Someone that will be merciful, even if what you have to say or what to ask them, they find it offensive. So instead of being offensive and self-righteous and holding on to your issue and acting knowledgeable, and we know the problem with knowledge is it'll immediately get puffed up. And if someone turns red in the face and uh, suddenly you're smelling their breath when you didn't want to be that close, uh, you can know that things are not going the right way. You can say, uh, can I offer you a breath mint if we go on? Because this is getting a little bit heated. Uh, full of mercy and, watch it now, good fruit. When you're in an exchange with someone, the person with the good fruit is the one who wins. Please try to maintain good fruit and maintain good works for necessary uses. This is the most important thing to do and it doesn't matter what you believe if you're flying off the handle and you're like a city with broken down walls or you have no rule over your own spirit and you're blowing up like a volcano, then it doesn't matter what you believe, my friend. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the fruit of the spirit and the virtue of the soul is not showing up. Amen. Good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now that easily entreated comes from, it sounds like this is a Greek term, but it sounds to me like a Mexican term. Uh, when I read it, it just made me laugh. And it's a dispensation uh, to be friendly, very approachable, easy to talk to, and it's bon homie. Bon homie. I felt like saying, what's up, bro? I feel like I can just see a, a Mexican with a big sombrero on asking me to come and get out of the sun under a big shade tree and, and maybe have a, a nice cool drink with him or something. Uh, not an alcoholic drink, so don't go there. Uh, but something nice and cool and uh, we can get out of the sun at the heat of the day and sit down and talk, amigo to amigo. Bon homie, a dispensation to be friendly, approachable, easy to talk to. I love it without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, if we didn't have a chapter break, the next thing he asked is the conjunction. Well, where in the world, if that's the way wisdom is, where do these wars and fightings come from among you? If this is the wisdom that comes from God, why in the world are you fighting with one another in the house of God? Even come they not hence of your own lust that war in your members. Now remember how important every joint supplies to all the other members of the church. All the other people that could be looking at you and depending on you to be loyal, faithful, dedicated and committed with your walk with God. And when you begin to fail, again, 
lose the shoulder and the old left arm or the old right arm's not working like it used to. Matter of fact, every motion becomes painful. So there it is. Why do we have wars among us? I believe that we remain childish. I mean that much of our soul, a third part of the angels, the better nature of our angels, as Abraham Lincoln said, has not been made virtuous yet. If we're going to prove that we are the planting of the Lord, trees of righteousness, well then you should be able to find the fruit of the Spirit upon us. And that fruit of the Spirit has nine qualities, not some of the qualities, like a peach. You can name nine qualities of a peach. If you extract any one of the definitions, you no longer have a peach and you no longer have that fruit. So our being fruitful is the absolute sign of a new birth that the seed of God has been planted in us. Now I know we like to run around and say, Oh, I desire spiritual gifts. I covet earnestly uh, the best gifts. Well, when that was said, Paul said, Yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way is love. That's how we go up and that's how we grow up. We're growing up and going up by love. Love is the answer to having good fruit and taking what's dark and the better nature of our angels where a third part of the angels are still fallen because so few are willing to go into the darkness of the soul. Two-thirds of us, we're born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah, okay. It's that last 40 acres where we can be a hundredfold that is so very difficult. People will even go to church and say, this is not helping me. I am saved. I have the Holy Ghost and I'm still fraught with all these fears and all these pains and they're triggered and anxiety attacks and I feel like I'm overwhelmed and I'm losing my mind and they tell me, well, Christians shouldn't ask to act. A Christian shouldn't act that way and it seems like they have no solution and when you show them very clearly the things that we should add from our diligence that deals with our soul giving us the result of why God gave us faith, showing redemption in our soul and what it takes to pray and get there, then they draw back again into their darkness, into their own perdition, and because they've learned how to live broken more than they realize how to be free, they pull back from the real answer. And I guess you'd rather live a broken life, an incomplete life, with a third part of the angels falling inside of you. Even as Jesus said, when all the 70 came back, I hope you hear me on this, and he said, oh, they came back rejoicing, saying that many signs and wonders and miracles and healings and even uh, evil ideas, wrong surmisings, were subject unto them through his name, unto them. He said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So, the war has been won, but the insurgents, the strongholds that are still holding on and left behind can be cleaned out by prayer. But it's going to take a real psychology, a real suche, 
oh, don't get scared, a real psychology, a real search, and that means we get on your elevator where you live and we go down into your basement to help clean up things of the past that still trigger you and cause bad behavior. And because you learned that behavior, you can have behavioral modification, and if you learned it, you can learn something better. Where the darkness and the hurt and the pain was, Jesus can come in with you. It's very important that he did it this way. This time he wants you to understand you're an overcomer. You can do it. Your life doesn't have to stay broken. That's why the third part remains so you can learn the power of overcoming and you can begin to teach the power of overcoming to others. He wants to take you by the hand and go in the place that only you can unsurrender. Only you can surrender to God. Only you can bring that out of suppression. And then you and Christ go into the soup of the soul, the soil of the soul, get on your elevator and find out what's going on in the basement that's messing you up in the attic in your present day. Find out what are the unhealed hurts, the unmet needs, thank God, and even the word curses that are so hindering your life to this day. I remember very very sincerely praying with a woman, a young minister, and she was in her 50s. And while we talked of ministry and I gave her counsel, she began to tell me repeatedly that she was not dumb and that uh, she, she, she really wasn't stupid and she wasn't dumb. And she kept saying it so much that I thought, well, my goodness, I've never had that impression of you. I've never felt that way about you. So now the best question comes in, and I'm going to need a 9-volt battery. I'm running on red. I'm not running on empty. I'm not Jackson Brown, not yet. But the needle is down at the E, so we're going to have to uh, uh, get a 9-volt battery and, uh, while, while I talk. Um, <laughs> can you say praise God? Uh, that's what you call uh, guiding the ship along and paying attention to what's going on. Uh, Reminded me of driving down to Atlanta, Georgia. I got so busy and so happy listening to my preaching and the music. I looked down and I was on E, empty. That's my good attendant, Sir Jacob. I spank you very much. <laughs> Praise God. So, and she told me, she said, no, I, I'm not dumb. And I said, well, darling, I ma'am, I, I don't think you're dumb. I, I think you're a minister. That's why I'm taking my time with you. I, I'm not talking with you because I think you're illiterate. I, I don't think that at all. Why do you think that? And she broke down in tears. And she said, when we were in grade school, and I was around 10, I had two sisters that were both a year or two years older than me. And I came in that year, and I had the absolute worst report card of my brothers and sisters. And the dad was very pleased with the two that did well. And he looked at his little girl, and he said, You are too dumb to be my daughter. You can't carry my last name. Now, that so crystallized inside of her, snapshot was taken. She still remembered what she had on what room they were in, what time of day it was, and the attitude by which he said that. 
and that imprinted her soul and a snapshot of that 10-year-old being told, you're too dumb. So she's been trying to overcome that. She's in her 50s. Please wake up, church. This is why a third part of the angels are still falling. We need to raise them up. The better nature of our angels need to come back alive. He said, that's the picture that lives down in the basement. That's what I see every time I wake up. Every day I wake up, I begin with that little girl that was told that I was too dumb to be his daughter. And I said, well, you're not too dumb to be God's daughter. Your father loves you. Your father trusts you. He thinks the world of you. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I said, he had a wonderful idea when he had you. There's nothing dumb about you. I said, I tell you what, let's go to prayer and let's let you open up your soul. I'll just be an attendant to prayer. You and Jesus go and redeem this time. You and Jesus go and I want you to, in prayer, I want you to go to where that picture is and I want you to take it down. Yes, Holy Ghost. I want you to go into your soul, that place where it's been lodged in there for all these years, thinking of herself that way, so sad. And I said, let's take that picture down. Let's take that picture down. And I want a fresh new portrait. Praise God. We're going to go to Heaven's Olin Mills. We're going to go to a photographer, and there it's going to be his beautiful, shining handmaiden of the Lord, called of God, anointed of God, having the mind of Christ. I said, we're going to take that picture down forever and we're going to put up the new picture that the Holy Ghost, what He's done with you, and a father who's so very glad that you are His daughter and He got exactly what He wanted. He's so glad that you're His daughter. You're so, he's so glad that you're ministering for Him and doing a great job. Yes, we had a moment. We had a reality in the Holy Ghost. We were able to reach into the darkness and the past of a little girl somewhere around in the third grade and change something that she's been trying to overcome, a stronghold that had been left behind from the war that had been won. Yes, let me declare, evil fell like lightning from the sky and hit the earth. Yes, that's true. But God wants to finish the work of all that He began both to do and teach. As He does it, He'll teach you the way. These are things inside of you. I've met people when they know that I know that they know that I can help them, they run from me. They, they dread me like a dose of salt and I could help them. They're, they're, so, they're so afraid when help has arrived, when me and the Calvary show up, me and the powerful Holy Ghost show up, they're like, oh, I want to be delivered, but not right now. Maybe some other time. Maybe some other place. And that generally turns into never because you've learned how to live broken more than you know how to be free. And freedom is much better. Whom the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. You shouldn't be winding up overwhelmed and broken and dark and gloomy in your soul. You should have joy, peace, and righteousness. And that's in the Holy Ghost. It didn't say tongues, prophecy, and casting out devils. No. It said peace.
peace, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Why don't you have those attributes of the Holy Ghost? That's what Paul said. Don't get mad at me. I know some of you are throwing stuff at your, your phone right now. You're, you're throwing stuff at your Bluetooth speaker. Uh, maybe you're crying, driving down the road on the radio. Because I know I'm reaching you. Me and the Holy Ghost know we're reaching you. If I have to reach through that stream and that camera and through YouTube and through Facebook to reach you, I'm still reaching you. But His Word never returns to Him void. I, I know I'm talking to you tonight because I feel the direct power of the Holy Ghost. God wants to make you better. God wants to love you. Now, if you will, turn with me over here to 1 Corinthians 13, and we want to look at this childish stuff that, that we wind up putting ourselves in. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. And we're saved and got the Holy Ghost, and we're tossed to and fro by being overwhelmed, by uh, feelings of insufficiency, by uh, competency issues, by performance issues, by acceptance issues, all these different things that keep us and hinder us from going forward. And I had to march in here when uh, back way when, when few, if anybody, I didn't know of anyone, uh, was even dealing with the soul. But boy, I sure had to deal with mine. Man, you talk about, I, I was a dumpster full of problems. I, I mean, what a can I lived in. Holy mackerel. I just thought it was normal to live in dirt like that. And Jesus said, no, I didn't dig that pit for you. Uh, uh, why don't you come out of there? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, it's pretty nice down here. He said, no, that's nothing compared to what I want to do for you. Come out of that horrible pit. And why? Because I prayed through. Because I went to God in Isaiah, and I didn't hide from myself. I didn't hide from the real hurts and pains on the inside. I didn't hide that I was afraid, that I was basically fighting because I was so fearful. I was a train wreck on the inside. I had displaced anger. I would said it didn't matter, and it wasn't true. It wasn't true at all mattered. The problem with me was is that no one else thought it mattered to the point that I didn't think it mattered. And yet God, Jesus Christ, delivered me through prayer. Because I let him go in here. I didn't feel like God was out there inspecting the rest of the world. I felt like when I prayed, he showed up to inspect me. And how could I be honest if I wouldn't even let him in my life? I wouldn't even let him take a look around of all the things that were inside of me. So I just kept saying, you can go in there too. It's a mess. I don't live in there no more. I don't ever go in there. I, I, I think it's too messy. He said, well, I'm only going to go in there if you go in there. And that really surprised me. I said, well, uh, if you'll take my hand, he said, i tell you what, you mean so much to me, Kevin. You're like a Jerusalem. And I'm going to light the candle of my Holy Spirit. And we're going to go in there, and I won't leave you, but we'll search that room out, and we'll clean that area of your life out, and I'll change your life. And I said, well, Lord, don't leave me, because I, I, I ran out of here a long time ago. I got hurt out of here. I got cussed out of here. I, 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 I just figured this need was never going to be met. And he says, well, uh, I'm a very present help in the time of need. And I'm the one that meets the need. Praise God. It's good to know that the better nature of our angels, that third part of the angels, 
they should not remain fallen. Now there's an innumerable company of angels, but it's interesting to me that the Bible said a third part. And that last part of you, your soul, that should so be investigated by your Holy Ghost, that should so be encompassed with the righteousness, uh, uh, the relationship that needs relationship from God, that only you and Jesus can go fix. You know, that's what he wants to do. He wants to produce a victory. He wants, you to, he wants to produce you as a victor. He said, they have the victory. I gave the victory to them. They're going to tell you about it. We worked it out, but I gave the victory uh, to the people that went into their soul. And now the dying place, the dead place, the dark place, it's a place of virtue. It's a place that God brought something out of me so wonderful and so good that all I want to do is share it with others. And God helped me win and turned around and gave me the trophy. And he said, now go show people the victory and the trophy of what it's, not, what it's like to no longer be in darkness. This is beautiful. This is salvation. This is where redemption should be manifest. Ministry can operate the gifts. The fruit should be manifest in the fact that we're the planting of the Lord, that He planted the good seed of God inside of us. But the virtue of what's worked out as you work out your salvation and what needs to be worked out. Well, how about over there in the soul? Yay, I, I, come on over. We need it. It's awful dark and dingy over here. And a third part of every good part of our, na our nature and our angel is not living. Well, let's put that back to life. Let's resurrect. Hallelujah. Let's resurrect that. Let's cut the lights back on. Let's go to your power panel and cut all the breakers back on and get everything working again. Praise God. It's beautiful when you see it and you comprehend it that God wants to bring you back to life, that a third part of those angels can be resurrected and come out of the evil and the pains and the hurts of people that have tried to hurt you, offend you, control you, manipulate you, and even word curse you. You're not called to a curse, you're called to a blessing. Jesus did not come to instantiate a curse. People have the proclivity to run over and hurt others. But Jesus is not like that. And a mature son or daughter of God also are not like that. Once you allow Him into your soul, your life will be different forevermore. You'll see things more clearly, more understandably, more comprehensively. And you'll begin to realize there's no need to get uptight. There's no need to be anxious. We can be at peace. God has done a real work right here in me. So... It says in 1 Corinthians 13, as the more excellent way is revealed unto us, verse 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child. Children and babes live on milk. But you're to desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And God doesn't want your understanding to remain childlike. Now we come to God as a child. We initiate in the honesty and in the trust of a child completely. But when I became a man, but when I grew up, but when I matured, 
guess what? I put away childish things. Now, if you will, just one chapter over, jump, 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 jump to verse 20. Paul's great wisdom in hermeneutics and interpretation. Brethren, be ye not children in understanding. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice, things that are evil, well, I don't know how to be evil. Which, there was a time when uh, God revealed this to me. I knew how to buy drugs. I knew where to get drugs. I knew how to take drugs. I knew everyone that walked in drugs. And that malice was ruining my life. That fellowship was destroying me. But if you ask me today, uh, it's a little bit farcical to go out and buy a nickel bag or a dime bag or uh, all this. I wouldn't know where to go. I wouldn't know what it cost. I wouldn't know uh, anyone who has it. And when I showed up, they never believed that I really wanted it. They would treat me like the police or an art because I do not look like a pothead. I don't act like a pothead. I don't talk like a pothead. And I don't have a green dot right here on my teeth from sucking in on those left-handed cigarettes all the time. You ain't fooling nobody when you grin at me with that dot on your teeth. I know what you're doing. So, brethren, be not children in understanding. And I ask God for understanding. I ask God for the spirit of understanding. And some, He did something for me that had never been done before. He upgraded me to firstborn. He upgraded me to being like a firstborn, that I really mattered. Now, what that meant to me was finally what I thought, and my questions were being heard, and my questions were being answered. They weren't just being brushed off. I wasn't just told to shut up, that it didn't matter. Just do as I was told. Now, look at it. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice... Be ye children, but in understanding, be men. In other words, grow up. Okay, please, please, can you grow up? Please, pretty please, with, with love and grace and, and mercy on top. Can we get you to grow up? Can we go into these strongholds that only remain in your soul, these insurgents that God has left there so you can fill up in your body of the sufferings of Christ so that you and he can go have a victory. He can hand you the trophy and then go out and say, go show people the victory that I wrought in you. The virtue that now is a victory, I want you to go share it with the world. Because if I did it for them, if I did it for you, I'll do it for them. That's why Peter said, seeing, seeing, comprehending, seeing this, the same affliction accomplished in your brethren. God strengthen, settle, and establish you. I began to realize at a very early age, as people tried to use their giftedness as superiority over me, I said, well, God, it only makes sense to me if you'd speak to them, you'd speak to me. You don't love them more than me. You love me. God, if you're the God of the Holy Ghost, then my Holy Ghost is just as real as theirs. My Holy Ghost has all the equipment on it. I looked at the build sheet, and God didn't leave anything out of my Holy Ghost. All nine gifts were right there. I, I had the real McCoy. And I know He gave it, because He gave it to me, and I was the first person to hear me speak with tongues. And I knew it was another language. 
I knew it was the Holy Ghost. And I did not ever feel like God gave me an inferior power. I didn't feel like God gave me a lesser power. But He wanted me to be loving and have wisdom. He wanted me to be caring and kind and to nurture people, to be as gentle as a nurse. The big head doctor Jesus would come in and He would heal them. But then they'd have to stay on the medicine so many days to go ahead and get the infection and the disease all the way out of their body. And that's where I'd come in. I'd come in behind him and say, now we're going to have to stick with it. Uh, I know uh, this amoxicillin, you feel better after three days, and that's great. But we've got to take it for four more days, four to ten days, if you want to make sure that that thing that made you sick is completely gone out of your system. That's where I come in. That's where my loyalty and my faithful. That's what 1 Thessalonians in the second chapter says. That's what Paul is alluding to, the gentleness of a nursemaid. That the ministry should have the care and the kindness to know what state the people are in, what, what, how their patients are doing. Jacob had the awareness to know that he couldn't let Esau's men overdrive his flock because if you overdrive my sheep one day, you'll kill them. So we should have a knowledge to know, no, no, you're being too rough. Be kind. Stop being ugly. Quit it. Quit it. No, you, you don't, don't, don't be gruff. I, I remember having cancer. And, 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 and in the cancer, you know, they gave me a pretty dire, uh, dire diagnosis. Oh, I'd done this, I'd done that, I'd waited too long, it was a nine, blah, blah, blah. On and on and on. So, I was recovering. And uh, I was feeling rather sick. They gave me some stuff that made me sick. And they gave me some morphine, and I had some jello right before that. And uh, I returned the jello to them. I, I, I ate it, and I said, well, uh, I'd like to return this jello to you. And I, and I uh, gave it back to them, and they said, oh, something's wrong with you. And there were all the people over there, and we were having a moment of faith, and it just meant everything to me. I was just having a ball. My, my, my sons were there, my wife was there, Curtis Lynn, my friends. It was just, just we were just all but having a party uh, there at the hospital in my room. I mean, it was on, and we were praising God, and I was happy, and even though I didn't feel good. And uh, Nurse Cratchit came in. Oh, my God, what a party pooper. She came in with her own issue, with her own problem, and she was yickety-yacketing with another gossipy nurse and uh, wanted everybody to leave, and we were too loud, and this, that, and the other, and we needed to be quiet. And I said, you go be a stinker somewhere else. You do not get to come in my room anymore and be a stinker. You go get Mrs. Nice off. Uh, I want Mrs. Nice Nurse to come in here, but you're being a stinker. You, I will not allow you to be a stinker in here. And, uh, and, and she came back and gave me some type of sedative. And I'm telling you, uh, holy mackerel. I mean, uh, Pink Floyd in the wall, I became comfortably numb. I mean, I went out. I felt it go in my veins. I felt it go down. My hand went numb. And then it went up this one. I said, oh boy, here it comes. And I felt it crawl over my scalp and my head, and I, I just went out. I woke up the next day 
Well, she got the best of me, and everybody left. But either way, uh, I don't know what she gave me. Whatever she stuck in that, I had an intravenous in here. And when you could feel it. You could sit, watch it go down the line. And when it went in, I mean, holy smokes. Lord have mercy. But anyway, I want you to turn to Proverbs 27. I hope this is helping you tonight. I hope you're seeing that there is a way that the third part of the angels that are fallen in your soul, the better nature of your angels can be brought back to life. And it's done in the virtues of allowing the Holy Ghost with you go inside your soul, which is the only part of you that's entirely up to you to open the doors to God. God will not force His way through here. God's not just going to do it because you're complaining about it and overwhelmed with it. You can't be in the wilderness of your soul murmuring and complaining, talking about all the signs and the things that have got you down and coerce God into making you better. It does not work that way. God wants you to be honest in prayer because when He helps you overcome, He's going to hand you a trophy, He's going to give you the victory, and then He says, go out there and show them the virtue that is now the victory that we overcame in you. See, the way you think and the way you will and the way you feel is the only part of you that is entirely up to you. I can't say this enough. You were saved by grace. You didn't choose God. God chose you. Not that we first loved Him, but He first loved us. That's why I love God back. I'm, I'm the result of being loved. I, I, God only gets back from me what He was so very willing to give me by grace. That happened by grace. Remember, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go. That's another sermon, John 15, 16. But in uh, John's message, in the beloved epistle, he says, we love him because he first loved us. Now, in response to that, only you can open your mind, only you can open your will, and only you can set your emotions uh, how you feel on things that are above. See, the way of life is above to everyone who wants to escape from hell beneath. That's two that I always put together. That's a proverb and a New Testament truth. And that's what I'm going to try to give you now. I'm going to try to give you truths to live by. And this is one of my favorites. I, I try to live like this. That when I get done with people, uh, I hope that, that they're left with a pleasant aftermath if I spoke with them. And Proverbs 27, 9 said it like this. And if you'll turn there, and I'll read it with you. Ointment and perfume. Now, my wife can tell you I've been known to wear cologne. I always wear cologne everywhere I go. I put it on. I wear certain fragrances. I really enjoy it. I don't like the idea of stinking. I don't like the idea of smelling bad. I mean, I'm enough to deal with as is. The last thing I need is to have a bad fragrance to go with me. I'm quite a pill to swallow with. At least put a sugar coating on it to help us get it down. Good Lord. I mean, my goodness, man, that's ridiculous. So, 
Proverbs 27, 9. It's one I really like. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. I don't know if you've been, been around someone. My, I bought my wife years ago Obsession. And she wears it so well. And it just smells fantastic on her. I mean, it, it's, it's like the only way I could explain it is a spice cornucopia in Thanksgiving with mincemeat pie and all the wonderful fragrances that go with it. And I mean, I just want to be immersed in it. It is so very wonderful because it matches her chemistry well. Uh, others recognize that there's a certain fragrance that they wear and it matches their chemistry well. As you know, a woman begins to learn what colors she should wear and what hues she should put on it and things that really work well with her. And then others hadn't figured it out. I can tell you that. They hadn't figured it out. But anyway, so doth. Look at this. What's that like? Well, let's make a comparison. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Can someone tell that you're really giving them their heart even if, uh, you know, I've been told I'm as blunt as a two-by-four. Now, I was hoping I'd had more heart when I was doing it, that I was showing more love, that I really had care, and I really do care. And, and, and I'm trying to believe God and, and not think that my love is just out of the dent and scratch section. I don't think you'd really want it, but we'll throw it on you there. No, I really have good love that comes from God, and I have good virtues that have turned into a victory for me, and I'd like to share those virtues with you. So, uh, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend. And, and I love this because Jesus didn't call us servants. Beth, he called us friends. And I'm such a friend, I believe it goes to the degree that if he's going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, he and two other angels, he said, before we go, we've got to go stop by Abraham's house. We've got to tell Abraham what's going on. Because the last time I checked, knowing Abraham's life, he uh, is taking care of his brother who passed away. He's taking care of his son. Now Nahor went ahead and did not take uh, uh, the, the, the young boy out of, the, out of uh, 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 Terah's family. But Abraham somehow was found very loyal and he was asked to watch over his brother Laban's son who was Lot. So God in friendship, I mean this is amazing, God in friendship, he said, before we do anything on the earth, i got to stop by my buddy's house. i got to go by and see Joel. i got to tell him what's going on. We're going to do this right there in his backyard. I can't come right by here and not stop by. So as a friend, Jesus Christ, in the order of Melchizedek, he literally passes by and he tells Abraham what's about to transpire. And then, of course, Abraham's heart is revealed. He said, surely God, you wouldn't just burn these cities up. Surely you wouldn't just scorch them. Let's, let's, let's go into deal making. Amen. This is, this is where I'm all the time wanting to make a deal. If someone tells me how much they want, my mind, I, I, I'm like Curtis. I'm going to barter. Curtis all the time bartering. He barters over everything for God's sake. He won't let me pay him for nothing. He says, I'll do this for that and that for this and whatever. He's a bartering man. He said open a business up. Bartering Curtis. That's what it should be. But 
Can you tell that someone's giving you hearty counsel? Counsel, not cancel. Counsel. Are they teaching you right? Now go to 2 Corinthians 2. I always match these two up together. And I think you'd do yourself a service if you would. I'll just be honest with you. Better than being a liar, so I'll be honest with you. Praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth uh, uh, doth, uh, a man's friend by giving hearty counsel. I love this part. I hope you love it too. I always put the two together. I've given you some insights into Pastor Kellogg, so here we go. Uh, this is how I match the Bible up. I always, this always goes in tandem. When this pulls in my driveway, this is the trailer that uh, Proverbs 27, 9 is pulling. This idea it pulls behind it. You've got the little uh, cab over truck on the front like tie drives. And Teresa, the, the trailer behind it is 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. And that means there's going to be some triumphs that we experience together. And why not realize that in your soul? Everything hasn't been done. That's the other incomplete truth. Jesus began. The war's been run, but there are a few things left behind that will teach you what you need to know to be an overcomer. And they live in the soil of your soul. And it's up to you entirely to let wonderful Jesus come in and get the rest of the insurgents, the rest of those that are trying to hang. A stronghold is something still holding on to. Now everyone kept telling me, you got saved from everything. You got saved from everything. You got saved from everything. And uh, I was in Sanford, North Carolina, and I met another Christian guy who had a, a little sports car like mine, so we got to talking. And uh, we were talking about our salvation because he was a Christian too. And he said, well, you know, they keep telling you you got saved for everything. I said, I know that ain't true. I said, I know that ain't true. Because I still had a bad mouth. I still had a foul mouth. And I would say, I didn't say GD anymore, but all his cousins and relatives were hanging around. Those guys, those, those guys had not left the building. They were still there. So we, we sat there and talked in our Christianity for a moment. And you've got to catch yourself being yourself. The biggest way you know your consciousness is working is when you can catch you being you, and then you look at you and say, Ugh, I wasn't a good pitcher. We don't need to do that anymore. So we had a little, a little cuss fest there to show that we could do it and that we were Christians and we still did it. And boy, I went back to pray that night and I had Daddy Jesus. Kevin, get in here. I, uh, I knew what it was about too. He said, were you out there talking like that about me? Using language like that. And I was like, yeah. Well, I didn't have a conviction till then. But I got one now. I tell you what, that Holy Ghost, he said, uh, we need to talk. You're going to pray. And I don't want you using language like that. Language and speech that is inconvenient. Such, uh, you, know, you want to grow up? Well, then grow up. 
You want to go up? Then grow up. Well, what's that like, Brother Kevin? Well, I'll give you an idea. If we go back to Ephesians just for a moment. Just for a moment. You should be praising God. Thank God for truth, right? This is how I overcome by my testimony, Teresa. You know, I've had to live the salvation that came into me. I, no one else lived it. I've been the one living it. I, I'm the one that can tell you about this is the autobiography of me and Jesus. In Ephesians, and let's pick up the reading. Let's see if this, oh, this is the one. We're going to knock it out of the park. It just happens to be the Bible. Just, what do you know? just happens to be the one. In Ephesians 5, And it goes down a list of sins, and then it jumps in at verse 4. Now, the 1, 2, and 3, that's all covered. Praise God. And there's a sweet-smelling Savior who lives in my soul. But that fourth one, neither filthiness nor foolishness, foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Now, I was giving thanks, but I was also giving thanks and cursing God you know, out of the same place, fresh water and salt water, like James talks about. I, 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 I know you've never done that. Okay, but yours truly, he needed prayer. And God, I'm telling you, he was waiting at my motel room because I prayed every night. I went and, and I didn't watch TV. I was very dedicated. I was going to read my Bible. I was going to pray. And man, it was like the principal of the school. He said, get in here. We gotta have a talk. And I was like, "Yikes!" He said, "I want to clean that up." Now listen, this foolish talking, repulsive, obscenity, offensive, uh, unaccepted standards of of decency and modesty, insightful, lustful feelings that are being vocalized and talked about. No, sir. Buffooning. Oh boy. Buffooning, clowning, joking, and jesting. Ouch. See, I, I, with me, you can't. You got to cover it all. I can't. Nothing can. Nothing can escape. Because if it was me, it's going to escape. I'm going to use it. If you didn't cover something, I'm like, thank God they left that one out. Okay. Because that's just. I. I need to be. I. I need prayer. I need prayer. Now look at this. Ribaldery, oh my, you had not heard that one in a while. That's old English. Cut that ribaldery out. What's that mean? Well, that means you're getting a bald head. Okay, I'll stop. No, it doesn't. It means language that should not be used. Like you'd hear down on the docks or, 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 or uh, your dad cusses like a sailor and my dad was a sailor and he cussed like one too. Ribaldery, vulgar. Lewd, uh, humorous, uh, yeah, they, they call it lewdly humorous language. Vulgar, unclean, foolish, indecent. Well, I had to be delivered. But I had to experience that, and then God gave me a testimony for that. And I have to at times, I have to at times go back, and rededicate myself to this, especially if I'm driving on the interstate. Some of these people bring out the worst of my angels. Uh, my, my dead angels start speaking instead of the better nature of my angels. And then I had to realize 
uh, go to Ecclesiastes 10.1. But we're going to go ahead and get on me. We're going to jump on me. Let's do it with both feet. Don't you agree? I mean, if we're going to cover this, uh, I've got uh, Super Dave Hawkins in the building, so I know I'm not the only one that needs it. So anyway, uh, Ecclesiastes 10. I love you, Dave. (laughs) Praise God. I thank and praise God. Why? Because there were dead flies trying to get in on my anointing. And I had to hear the truth. Dead flies. Now we were over in Africa, and me and Elder Don, and and, and I had a Don moment the other night. Uh, I could see him looking with his eyebrows. Don talked a whole lot with his eyebrows. Now, many people speak in many languages, but Don could give you a look with his eyebrows, and he would give you that. I don't think I agree with you on that. Uh, uh, He'd kind of look at you like, what you're doing is not altogether correct or a little bit foolish, and I always loved it. But uh, Ecclesiastes 10.1. One time me and him got attacked by a snake while we were out fishing. And Don just, he just, he just prayed for me. He asked me what type of snake was that. I said, it's a cursed snake now. <laughs> oh, I, and of course he got a, lot of, got a laugh out of that. I said, Jesus cursed the snake and I just did too. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he just laughed at me. I love him. God, what a fantastic, fantastic man. Fantastic man. Nothing but good. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savior. Smells bad. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. So we went out to eat, and after we ate things that can't be described, I don't know what type of animal it came out of, uh, but we ate it. And then uh, over there on, on the counter, the little lean-to counter, it looked like a raisin cake. Well, the lady said, would you like a, a piece of cake? I said, yeah, I like raisin cakes. And she just kind of looked at me, and she walked over there and said, well, let me get you, please. And she, she shooed the flies. All the raisins flew off the cake. <laughs> and I, went, ah. <laughs> I suddenly, suddenly, and I remember Don saying, "You still gonna eat that?" And I said, well, "I have to now. I asked for it." <laughs> I ate fish one time, and he, he gave me one of them eyebrows look. He said, "You're not gonna eat that, are?" I said. Well, surely it's got to be good. This is the cleanest place we've been in three weeks. Man, it made me sicker than a dog. God Almighty, I wish I'd listened to him. But uh, so doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and in honor. Now look at that, a stinking savor. That means your wisdom that comes from God, you can make it smell bad by not controlling your tongue. And that's not what we're called to do. So back to 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. We might get to the end of this. This has been a fun sermon. And I admit it, I came to church to have fun tonight, even though everything up to church was trying to steal my joy from me, without a doubt. But now I'm having fun. I came to have fun, and now the the fun 
the joy has arrived. Praise God. Now, thanks be unto God, which always, 2 Corinthians 2.14, always causes us. That's not God without you, that's God with you. Some things can only be worked out with you and God. I just wish God would take it from me. Well, let go of it. Ask Him to come and set you free and then take your hands off of it. Causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor. Everybody use your sniffer. You smell Jesus around? I smell Him around and He smells good. He don't smell bad. Remember, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. Amen. I was up working at the other church in the bathroom, and of course, the commode wasn't working. And we were trying to get church started. Back in those days, we had one church, one, one, one bathroom for everybody, male and female. I mean, we were believers. And of course, uh, they come and tell me right before the sermon began, and back in those days, I wore a fragrance by Calvin Klein that I still do sometimes. I loved the name of it, and it was called Eternity. And a lady was parking out in the gravel, in the grass parking lot, and uh, we had, we'd finally put in a, a 12 horsepower ceiling fan to suck all the bad smell out of there. And while I was in there sweating, and, and it was uh, kind of hot and humid, uh, I, I could even tell that... Uh, the rich aroma of the Calvin Klein eternity was coming off of me and I was already perspiring as was very normal back in those days. And she told her son and her daughter said, oh, Pastor Kello's in the bathroom. I can smell his cologne. And I heard her say it through the vent. And I was like, oh my God. I, I'm not, I, you know, I, I made it clear that I was just working on some mud. I wasn't doing anything. But anyway, uh, but she could smell the fragrance coming out and it should be that we should be able to identify I, I, I just have funny stories they're never ending sometimes I, I get to remember and I'm like good lord I don't need to write a book but this is the fragrance the savor the cologne and for you ladies it would be a perfume this is what they call if it's really good stuff it's called eau de toilette I mean, better. this is the best toilet water you'll ever spray off. It is fantastic. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that are perished. To the one we are the savor, we smell like death unto their death, unfortunately. And to the other, we're the fragrance of life unto life. Do people feel like they want breathe in really big and take a big breath of life after you get done? Because life is better with Jesus, not without. Life is better with prayer, not without. Life is better with the Holy Ghost, not without. Life is better with grace, and not without. We are the Savior, the fragrance, the cologne, the perfume, the toilet water. No, better than that. Better than that of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Only those who allow their lives to be worked out. Only those who are going to be honest enough to say, yeah, start here. 
I'm I'm not asking you to work on me because I'm not sick. Uh, The more I I get unsick, the more I want you to heal all the other sick places that are not exactly up to par in my life. For we are not as many. Who's, Who's sufficient for this? Well, not as though we were sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And he'll say that in the next chapter in the fifth verse. The only reason I'm sufficient is because God finds it a pleasure to work in me, both to will. God says, it's my pleasure to work in you, Kevin. I said, well, I'm glad to have you here. Because God knows that they don't need you, I do. Sometimes, I mean, when you pastor a church, I don't know if, if, if God is using these poor victims in my congregation to get me saved, or God is saving me to help save them. I mean, I feel like God, God help them. God help these poor subjects that come to church because, you know, I'm getting saved, but at the same time, they're getting saved too. So I don't know. I think we're benefiting each other anyway. Isn't that right? <laughs> That's the truth. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Look at that. But in the sight of God, we're speaking in Christ. That's where this message comes from tonight, from the Spirit of Christ that lives in me, yours truly, my testimony. I'm overcoming again by the word of my testimony, by the blood of the Lamb. In my life, it was dead until I met Christ. So I, I, I give that freely away. Now, if you go back to Proverbs 27, just for a moment. We're trying going to round. We're going to round this wagon up. We've we've had a mount, we've had a ball, but now we're rounding the wagons back up. It's about time for evening vittles. We're going to go home and make a pot of beans. I have a, a some a, a, a few. What do you call them, Diane? A few uh, chunks of meat. What do you call them? Like a brisket or something. We're going to throw that in the pot. Everybody's going to sit around the campfire and we're going to talk and have dinner. Praise God. So it says just a little bit earlier, Proverbs 27, 7. Now I always link this to uh, Matthew 5, 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, but I want, you to, I want you to check in because when Jesus taught on the Mount, He said, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst. Are you hungry for it? Are you thirsty for it? After righteousness, because what's the result? Well, He's not going to let you come to this feast table and and not get a good dinner. I'm not a cloud without water. You've probably found out I have plenty to say. And when you come to this feast of charity, I've been working on it and thinking on it and putting things together, and I've been in the kitchen of God finding out what He wanted me to say to you. And this is why I provide the spread that we're having tonight because God wants you filled. God does not want you coming to Him and then realize, I came home hungry and got nothing to eat. Uh, uh, You know, I come here to the Feast of Charity and I want something to eat. Uh, I'm already eating with spots and blemishes, uh, feeding themselves without fear. I'm already around these clouds without water. I mean, for God's sake, I want some substance when I come to the house of God. So it says, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb. Welcome to America. Welcome to America. If you don't do a bent, a bent narcissistic message, 
for Americans to think they're the greatest things on the face of the earth. They don't like the cross. They don't like sacrifice. They don't like dying to themselves. They do not like dying to their sins. They do not like a holy life. You'd be amazed. This up-and-coming generation still thinks they can booze it up and walk with God. No, you can't. That's what messed up Nadab and Abihu. That's what Leviticus chapter 8 said. That's when they apparently got into the temple of God and was, you know, like the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, who also were cut down in war because they didn't take the priesthood seriously. Let me tell you something. You've got to get some convictions. I have convictions about worship. I have convictions about strong drink. And I'm not going to put the bottle to my brother's mouth. I will not be the one that says, come over and have a colon with me. Well, it's just how many you have. Wrong. I'm not called to get you filled with wine. I'm called to get you filled with the Spirit. God wants you to live a sober life. That's what grace teaches you, sobriety. Not drunkenness and chambering and wantonness in the night. Well, amen, Pastor Kello. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Amen. So watch what it says. The full soul loatheth a honeycomb. Now he told John, he said, it's going to be sweet in your mouth as honey, but when it gets down into your belly, bitter. Bitter. Now again, that's how Christianity kind of starts out. It was in my mouth sweet as hungry. I had no, sweet as honey. I had no idea what I was signing up for. And I was signing up left and right. I was jumping in every chance I got. I was like, this is great. I'm all in. Kaboosh. Cannonball in the deep end. And God said, boy, he's going to wake up one day. So, and I kept, I kept jumping in. I, if God wanted it, he could have it. If God wanted me to give it, I gave it. If God wanted me to be sacrificed, I said, it's good. Start with me. Somebody needs to be crucified. I'm probably the one that needs it the most. So get the nails out and nail me down. I was willing to bear about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus, hoping and believing that the life of Jesus would be made manifest out of me. And to a real degree it was. But he said, I told you not all these things at the beginning because you were not able to bear it. There are a lot of things that we eat and we chew on. And as you grow 45 years later, I've been reading this book for 45 years. So trust me, my understanding has somewhat elevated, thankfully. Not a lot, because when I was in the vision, when I thought I was dying uh, with the heart problem thing, uh, I had a vertical path that went up incrementally, but it wasn't no big step. There was no big leaps or bounds. I felt like I was in my household again, that I'd grown, but only a little bit. And that's because I didn't have my hair cut. But anyway... Uh, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb. Go to another country where they have nothing to do other than God and church. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. To the hungry soul. They can sit down and realize at the Last Supper, there's not just bread and wine. There's another part of the meal. It's called bitter herbs. Now, I want you to turn to the book of Colossians. I want to give you a taste of bitter herbs because you've got to eat them too if you're at the Last Supper with Jesus. 
course, you're going to listen to preachers say he suffered it all. No, he did not. He left some of his sufferings behind because if he learned obedience by the things that he suffered, guess how you're going to learn it? Oh, thou perfect one. Colossians chapter 1. Now this is where it gets kind of tough. You cease from sin and you will suffer in the flesh. Flesh will be whining. Colossians 1, 23. If, big condition. And I know how it is in America today. Kevin, you suffer, you relate to God, and you speak to us, but not me. They're doing the same thing to sincere preachers today that they did to Moses, and God's not having it. You have to walk with God. My walk can only encourage you to have that walk. If you're going to go out and do your own will and do your own thing and live your own way anyway, then Jesus is not Lord. If, big if here, Paul said, if you continue in the faith, Grounded and settled. Boy, I've heard that language before. Grounded and settled. Grounded and settled. That's, that, just, that just leans of 1 Corinthians 15. I hope you're with me. Grounded and settled. Grounded and settled. Dependable, loyal, faithful. Therefore, beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. And thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I Paul am made a minister who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind. Jesus left some of this stuff behind. He didn't suffer at all. If he was made perfect through the things that he suffered, you too will be made perfect through the things that you have to suffer through until you get to the place you're not going to answer your flesh, you're going to answer to the will of God. And you'll finally drink of the cup because Jesus said, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And that's the one that I asked to drink of. I'm not drinking it for someone else. I'm asking to drink the cup of Jesus. And I'm asking to drink it and drink it to the full because I think my eternal life depends on it. So I'm willing to drink mine. I hope you're willing to drink yours. To fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for His body's sake which is the church. Amazing, isn't it? Whereof I am made a minister, whereof I am made a minister, God gave me power to become a son of God, not by the will of men, not by the will of others, not by the will of blood, but by the will of God. Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation, the blueprint, the contract, or the plan that he had in the origination of Genesis 1-3 when he said, Let there be light, and the prototype of all mankind, Jesus Christ, was manifest 
and Adam was made after that similitude. He looked just like the prototype because God had something to go by when he made the first production man and made the rest of us. Another sermon. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and generations but is now made known to the saints. And what's that mystery? To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, Christ Jesus and not ourselves, warning every man and teaching every man hopefully in all wisdom, hopefully, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Mature! You may not be perfect yet, but you should at least be grown up. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily, because the grace of God was not bestowed upon me in vain. Yet I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That's what I'm called to do. And yeah, I took it to heart. I really felt like God meant what He said. I still read the Bible believing that God meant what He said and that I should go by it. So again, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. And Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are ye when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You shall be filled. And if we sit down to the table, uh, God, God, God put those God-awful Brussels sprouts. That's how awful it would be for me. Bread, wine, and Brussels sprouts. I'd eat them. I'd suffer through it because I know there's a reward. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.